Hey, you're listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am your host, Neil Rubenstein, and today I'll be sitting in traffic talking to Josh Chaftaline and John Coppinger of Burger Bowl Podcast. Hey, Neil, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, this is Josh, and then John, Neil, introduce yourself. How are you, Neil? Hi, John. Are you, are you, guys, so, ready to, are you guys ready to be on In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein? We are so ready. Absolutely. All right. What's up? Are you guys recording? I'm recording. We are officially recording right now. Neil, thank you so much for joining the Burger Bowl podcast as we simultaneously jump on in traffic with Neil Rubenstein and what is probably one of the first podcast options of Mets Twitter, comedy Twitter, what <laughs> the whole Twitterverse escape thing of, of it all. So I guess I'll start it off. Neil, I've known you for about a little over seven years, close to eight years now, and we met kind of randomly at an Evan Roberts Twitter baseball game. And yeah. Our, I, our, our friendship is as long as Twitter baseball has been going on. Wait, wait, Neil. Do you, do you remember what happened the first day that we met? Well, I remember playing that game and botching to play at third base and Evan looking at me like, do you ever played baseball before? And I was like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> but I don't remember, like, anything significant. What happened? Well, I have one distinct memory of you, and this is what really ingrained you in my mind. And we showed up to a field, and it was probably the beginning of March. It was probably under 40 degrees outside. And my one memory of you was we were about to start playing. We just had scraped the bottom of the barrel amount of people to begin this pickup game. And the park ranger or one of the staff members comes over and says to us, hey, you guys can't play on the field. And he tried, and he kicked us off the field, and you said – would you rather us sell drugs in the neighborhood instead? And then, and then, and, and then, and then, and then he just looks at you and he goes, "All right, guys, let's go sell drugs." And so, so that was my first memory of you. And, and so, I guess I want to ask, how did you become a Mets fan? Uh. Not how did I get such a lack of respect for authority? Um, I guess I guess yeah, how, that, and I guess how did that transition into into your your first forays into comedy? Uh, well, oh, wait, come on, a Mets fan into comedy isn't that obvious? Yeah, so I uh, yeah, I just became a Mets fan because my dad was a Mets fan, right? Isn't that how it starts for most people? I don't know. I just uh, grew up watching, uh, you know. Pat Zachary and uh, and Neil Allen botch games, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm a Mets fan because my dad's screaming at the TV. John, John, Neil, I mean, you two are closer in age than I am, so I was curious. Do you have, like, those similar roots? Well, yeah, it's it's funny when he said Pat Zachary and Neil Allen, I, I thought, man, he must be around the same age I am because that's when I – started rooting for the Mets. Uh, it was that it was that era, that post-Seaver era. I mean, the first uh, game that I went to, it was uh, uh, Tom Seaver was pitching for the Mets. That's how young I was. And then, but when I really started watching, it was that 79 team. It was Pat Zachary. It was Skip Lockwood. Neil Allen came in. And uh, Willie Montanez playing first. So, yeah, that's a – you know, you grow up in that era. You, you develop – a, uh, you, you develop a thick skin, and and I guess yeah, a sense of comedy watching the uh, watching the Mets. And I went to nine games in 1979, so that's when I started really regularly rooting for the Mets. And by the way, they lost all nine, and I thought it was me. And uh, in some respects, I still think it's me. I think it's you too. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. So yeah, no, my my dad. I, I mean, I'm a little younger than you. Then uh, I, you know. I started watching the game. Like, I started really noticing and remembering stuff 
in the early 80s, 81, 82, like George Bamberger was the manager. And, like, I remember when that – when they started making corrections. You know what I mean? Like, I remember the trade for Gary Carr. I remember the trade for Keith Hernandez. And, and uh, I don't know, it was just, you know – I always thought that you you grow up rooting for the thing that you're, you know, the 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 person with the most influence on you is rooting for. I, I don't know. Is that he was never into that, football or anything, so I never really got into football or anything. Is that something that you hold like a lot of resentment against him for, or that you <laughs> later kind of said, "Wow, maybe I shouldn't have done that." <laughs> nah, I'm. Here's, here's where I think I differ from most, but I, I'm proud. Like I'm proud. I don't care. People root for bad teams, and and the team's not always bad. You know, sometimes they're awesome. And uh, like when bad stuff happens, it's not a curse or a jinx. It's just, you know, they didn't do the right thing. Whatever. Like I get mad at Met fans. I don't like Met fans. Like <laughs> in, in general, in general, I don't like Met fans. Like I'll wear. I'll wear an Orioles hat in public because I don't want to talk to a Met fan in public. I don't want to talk to, like, the generic Met fan because they bum me out. They're going to say some negative things. I remember the Mets had just finished an 11-game winning streak. Well, they were I mean, currently they were on an 11-game winning streak. And they went into Yankee Stadium, and it was, like, the second inning, and Joe Schmo on the Yankees hit a three-run home run. And my Twitter and Facebook feed blew up with quote unquote Met fans being like, "Typical Mets blowing, blowing it in Yankees." It's like, dude, they just won eleven in a row. Can you give them a minute, <laughs> one minute. Just give them one minute. And it's like, brought to you by the same people that uh, booed Carlos Beltran on opening day. Yeah, get the hell out of here. Carlos was one of the. One of the best players in Major League history. Get that in the Mets history. Get the hell out of here. Get out of here. You're a bunch of bums. Don't call them bums. You're bums. Uh, rant over. <laughs> John, I feel like you can kind of touch in on that. What? <laughs> that is uh, that is funny. I mean, you know, Mets fans have become, and you, you've seen it slowly. I think over the last 10 years, it's it's become very, very extreme and divided. And you got one faction of, uh, you know, you know, 2007 and 2008, I think, born those Met fans that are that just got so angry. And yeah. uh, and, 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 and yeah, they, listen, the, the team at that point deserved it. And ownership at that point deserved all that anger. But then you had a faction of fans that I think, came that were born out of that out of it was almost like the reflexive uh the 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 reflexive um opposite of that it was like okay well we're sick of you being so angry so we're going to be like overly happy and overly uh but we're going to be overly happy at you and and it's almost like when you say like I hate Met fans you know, when I see when I see the two factions kind of going at each other, and I, I sometimes I shake my head, and I'm just like, "Man, you're all wrong. You're, you're all wrong <laughs> in one in one form or another." <laughs> and it's like, like you say, it's like you go out and wear an Orioles hat. It's like, all right, I'm going to go out and take a walk and forget baseball exists for like ten minutes. Yeah. I don't know, man. If you can carry on a like, if you see me in public and you're like, "Oh, Orioles," and you can carry on a conversation with me about the Orioles, then I'll talk to you about the Mets. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. I, I just I just don't have time for the uninformed person who's going to be negative. You know, and, and you're you know if you know what you're talking about, and you want to be negative. All right, I, you know, like at least we're having a conversation. But don't be uninformed. And you know what it's like. You ever like you're in a bar or a restaurant and a football game's on, and a guy walks in and he's like, "Oh, the Giants are playing today." And then six minutes later, it's like, oh, you bum, you got to throw that pass to the to the, the other guy. And it's like six minutes ago, you didn't know the game existed. Now you're an expert? And that's, <laughs> Do you think that's, well, to, 
That to me is what my fans like. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here because there was an episode of uh, not an episode, but like it was a, a pregame show, and it was one of those where and I don't know what, if you're familiar. I don't know how much pregame you watch, but uh, it was one of those where they interviewed fans in the stands, and they would cut to the interview, and the fan would say, you know, I've uh, they'd ask the fan, you know, what's your name? How long have you been a Mets fan? And then, uh, and then, and then they cut back to the studio and they try to figure out if this fan would get the trivia question right. Okay, so uh-huh. they cut to this fan that was in in City Field, and they asked him, "Okay, well, how long how long uh, have you been a Mets fan?" And this guy is decked out in the stadium for his his head to toe in Mets paraphernalia: the hat, the shirt, the satin jacket. Okay, seven line army says, stuff. I've been a Mets fan. <laughs> Say again. Is he in like seven line army section? I don't know. I, I don't know. I couldn't. I, he didn't look like he was wearing seven line army stuff because it was just uh, he was like in the rotunda or near the rotunda. So he says, "I've been a Mets fan all my life since I can remember since birth." So they cut to the studio and they say, "Okay, we're going to ask this guy." Who won the World Series last year? And the and the and the, the choices were the, the the Cubs, who which was the correct answer, the Royals, the Mets, or the Red Sox. Now that seems like a simple question to ask somebody who won the World Series last year. And if you're a big Mets fan, then you would have known that the Cubs won. So one of the, so one of the guys said, I think he's going to get it right. I think he's going to pick the Cubs. And then another guy said, I think he's going to pick the Royals because I think he's going to get his years mixed up. So then they cut back to the interview and they say, okay, well, who who won the World Series last year? They give him the choices and he says, uh, the Mets? No. And, and, and that's honestly true. And I swear, and I, I, I just looked up at the heavens and I have never been. That was, for all the, for all the losing that the Mets have done, that was the moment where I looked up and said, I've never been so ashamed to be a Mets fan in my life. Oh, God, come on. Uh, that, that's what we've been – I think that's what – I, I think that's what we've been moving towards. As You know, not just Red fans, as sports fans. But, I mean, for a guy to be head-to-toe decked out and, and then say the Mets won last year, the World Series previous year. Uh, that might be, like, a good representation of what America is, though. Yeah, you're probably right. There's, there's like, this perverted Scheidenbrod in all of this. And – I think that people really, really derive, like, pleasure from watching the Mets lose, and they try to project it out. And I think that's kind of like a lot of people's escape because I take a look and I see so many people saying, oh, that bum, Matt Harvey, and and Cinderguard sucks, and I don't want to see Dominic Smith, and I I don't want to – and I'm like, what does it have to do with you? And, like, you know that, like, if it's causing you this much pain – Turn off the television. Like, nobody is yeah. making you watch. Like, there is not a cataclysmic spell on you that says, if you don't watch this baseball game, then you're lesser of a person. And there's almost like this false equivalency between, like, rooting for a professional sports team and religion. And if you abandon your sports team, you're going to be seen as sacrilegious in your community. And I don't know. I mean, both of you are on Twitter, so... When you look around like the Mets fan landscape, like do you see a lot of that? Like, do you ever are, do you ever have something happy to say? Are you ever happy? Yeah, that's why I can't handle Mets fans. But on the on the other hand, I don't like when other people assume it's just sports. So like when someone, let's say I'm traveling for 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 comedy and I'm wearing a Mets hat, and someone's like, "Oh, f the Mets." Like, yo, man, maybe, like, maybe my livelihood depends on the Mets winning. Or maybe my brother's on the Mets. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you just assume it's just sports? I don't know. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of that one. I'm probably on the wrong side of that one. No, no, I I, I like it. John, I mean, <laughs> you fall into that? or I mean, we're, we're picking on a very narrow, narrow subsection, and it's probably way too – uh, I think we've become very talk. It's, it, I think it's the talk radioization too of uh, of uh, of sports fans as well. You know, it's, it's every because because remember, talk radio it, from what it used to be, and now we're talking back in the days pre 
F-A-N, where you could have rational conversations about sports and you could get on the air. But who, who does a producer, who will talk radio producers put on the air now? They're not going to put crazy guy. somebody like somebody rational on the air. They're going to put somebody on the air that's good, like, like Jerome, who would, who would say, who would come on and say, I want, I want Bernie Williams out of here. You know, I, I want him to be traded. And don't get me started on, on Jerome specifically because he was a, he was an absolute trip and I've got, I've got stories related to him, but that's, that's who talk radio will put on the air. And that's what people grow up listening to or people that are in their thirties, I guess now grow up listening to. And that's what they think a sports fan needs to be. And it's, it's warped and it's twisted. So, I mean, you, Neil, are more politically active as well as sports active on Twitter. So do you think that there's such thing as a, as a correct take and a wrong take when it comes to not just sports but politics? I mean, like, they're, like you can, uh, like, in life, objectively be a piece of crap or not be a piece of crap. And you can either say something that's blatantly misogynistic or not misogynistic. But do you think that that transcends? sports into politics or transcends politics into sports and why is there I don't think <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm intelligent enough to answer this question. But <laughs> but uh no nah, man, I don't like I mean clearly Trump is a piece of garbage. Uh but like, you know, there's a lot of talk like my boss tries to like trip me up every day. Like, I don't know. I guess he thinks I'm like a liberal hippie. So, like, every day I'll be like, what's your stance on the death penalty? What's your stance on gun control? What's your stance on affirmative action? And it's like, well, there's no, like, correct answer for any of this shit. You know what I mean? Like, we're doing the best we can in the circumstances we are in. You know, this might be the correct solution for this problem, but we won't know until we do it. Like, I you know, you can't just be black and white about something like, well, this is the way this gets fixed, or this is the way, you know, people are, you know, sometimes good people do dumb things. Like some people, you know, sometimes good people make bad, bad decisions or mistakes or, you know, like, or sometimes bad people do the right thing sometimes or, you know, can change and become better people. I don't, you know, just, you yeah, know, it's, whatever. I know. I, I, my personal philosophy is, like, I don't judge anybody based on their sins. That's my personal thing. If you sin how you sin, I'll sin how I sin, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll meet you for dinner. Like, if there's no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun of someone. I mean, I'll make fun because I'm, you know, because I want to make fun things. But I'm not gonna judge someone if they're, like, too nerdy. I'm not gonna judge someone if they're, like, they got addicted to a drug, and I'm not going to judge someone if they're a prostitute. Like, you know, things happen, and you end up making decisions that, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have made. You know? Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's hard to create that, I guess, moral high point or low point for anybody because we don't understand the challenges that we all face, and I think that's why Twitter has become such an interesting platform. And it's taken away, in a lot of senses, some of that fun of the talk radio aspect that John was talking about, where, you know, you can come on and say, trade Burley, Bernie Williams, he's awful. But now you have people coming at those people and saying, well, actually, you know, based on his uh, defensive run saved and based on his ultimate zone rating, he's actually the best option for the Yankees. So I guess my question to both of you is that maybe people need to keep it a little bit more light. So... Who are your favorite baseball players of, of all time? I, I think I'm going to ask both John and Neil. Neil, you want this Sorry. first? No, you go first. Cause, uh, also, wait, before we do this, how do you guys know each other? <laughs> John, you can take <laughs> Well, that's, that's, um, you know, that, that's a funny one because, you know, I've, I've been blogging uh, since uh, the 2005 season. And you know, and I've been really lucky because I because because of that, people have uh, contacted me, and, and and lots of great people have contacted me to to, uh, to do special projects and whatnot. And uh, you know, Josh was uh, was uh, and cor- and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but Josh was doing uh, a uh, a podcast, the uh, Around City podcast, with a couple of friends of his, and they wanted me 
to come on and be a guest, and it worked out so well that I'd be kind of a semi-regular guest, like every other every other podcast that they do, and then they kind of they kind of dissolved, and uh, and I and I kind of and Josh came to me and said, hey, we should do something on our own and do something uh, sort of semi-regular every other week, and we've been doing stuff. I want to say that we've been podcasting together. Um, for the better part of four years, and we've been doing our show uh, in a couple of incarnations for the better part of two, maybe even two and a half years. I don't think we've ever actually we, – well, we've never actually met in person. This is just like an exclusive <laughs> telephone relationship. No, seriously. Seriously, we've never – I mean, because he's awesome. in Long Island. I'm in Queens, and, and uh, you know, our schedules oh, are, oh my are God. Well, my schedule is the oh with everybody God. else, though. That's so far away. Queens? Yeah, How do you well, yeah, do I it? know, right? It's like miles away. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, apart. And, and so I, everything you said was spot on. From my perspective, it was a little different. So I think I was unique, I guess, in that I grew up in this digital age where it was easy to break in online. And so I – or not easy, but if you knew how to navigate – and I was a complete – loser up until my senior year of high school like no questions asked I was kind of like a social recluse and and I wasn't like a recluse but I was just ultra focused on my studies and in my junior year or I, I guess I really started following baseball day to day but I had nobody to to really talk about it with and and so I, I remember going online and I, I used to read Masseron's Nets blog and I was like damn like I want to get into sports journalism and I have no idea how to do it so I, I went to WordPress and I started aroundcity.wordpress.com, and I I said, well, I don't know what to call it. I don't all the Mets names are taken. I can't call it Mets blog, Mets Marais. I can't call it Rising Apple, and they, and like there were a bunch of names. There that was were. a lot of Mets blogs out there. Yeah, there were, and I was like, but you know what? I feel like I, I had read Moneyball. I felt quote unquote woke, you know, and I was like, I can't infiltrate this business if I try to do the same thing as everybody else. And so I said, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to just pick up basic experience. I'm going to write game recaps. I'm going to start doing what everybody else does. And I was doing about 50 to 75 views a day at 17. And then I said, well, let me start taking some of these statistics and making my own stories. And it was at that point that I kind of broke in. And so I went off to write for the Daily Stash and Mets Fever. Both, uh, I think the Stash is still around, but with a new owner. And um, Mets Fever is gone. Um, and then in 2013, I started Around City Live and Around City, and I started that weekly podcast with the old co-host, Brendan. And um, from there, um, just kind of tinkered, and uh, I contacted John one day, and I said, wow, like, this was a guy that when I started tweeting a lot in 2009 and 2010, I was really, really, like, he made me crack up all the time, and I was like, wow, this guy's interacting with me. He's awesome. And um, so I looked up to John, and, and and still do. I mean, he's been a figure in my life now for like seven or eight years. And earlier this year, we actually self-published uh, what became a fan fiction book. But um, Neil, you're probably going to laugh at this. But John, you you can you can elaborate on that. Well, uh, well we um, we uh, we decided, you know, we wanted to do uh, a special project, and uh, you know, Josh is really the driving force behind it. It's like, you know, we want to do this annual because nobody else is doing it anymore. So we wrote kind of kind of like a, a season preview and we called it uh uh with with the Mets whole superhero thing we called it uh reassembling the Avengers how Noah Syndergaard, David Wright and Matt Harvey can lead the Mets back into October prominence. And the funny part about it was uh you know we go on through the season and um and, and everybody that we named on the cover of the book got hurt. So it was, you know somebody else would go down and my and my wife would say, "Well, there goes your book sales." <laughs> So it was so. I mean, it was it was such a fun thing to do. But I think we, I, I think by naming those three particular players, we we actually doomed the Mets to failure this year. I think we we, we just like all right, just show off the ch ch checklist. We, we we killed another one. I like the idea that it's uh, Mets fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what it that's what it slowly became. I mean, we had some good we had some good things in there, but uh 
but it just it just did not did not come to pass, and it was just all like kind of you know you can you can laugh about it now, but uh, you know what, Josh, we're we're nothing we can they can never take it away from us. We're published authors. We are self-published, but published. And, and Neil, at the same time, tell about tell everyone on the Burger Bowl side about the impetus of uh, in traffic with Neil Rubenstein and a little background about yourself. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm a comic. I want to get famous. And uh, they tell you that uh, I don't want to get famous. I, I wouldn't mind getting famous. I just want to get – I want to be a drawing comic. If I can draw a crowd, then I can perform wherever I want and make a living. That's what I want. Um, but there's all these other things that they say, oh, well, you know, if, you know, to get – to get on the map, you have to have a podcast, and you have to act, and you have to be a commercial, and it's like, all right, well, I guess I have to pursue all that stuff. And I drive to the city every day, you know, miserable, an hour in traffic every day, each way to, like, do a bunch of open mics or to do shows or whatever. And uh, so I was like, well, I don't have time to do a podcast. And then I was like, oh, no, I totally do have time to do a podcast. I'll do it while I'm driving. And that was it. Here we are. <laughs> now, 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 how long have you been? Uh, how long have you been uh, beating the bushes in terms of comedy and doing like uh, uh, shows and whatnot? Well, I started in '07, but quit in '09, and then started up again in '15, the very beginning of '15. So I okay, I'd, all right, that's, yeah. I'd say three, like. Three balls to the wall years, but five or six years total. And and is it something where like is it so much like because you said something very interesting. You said uh, how uh, you know to be a comic you got to be on the map and do all these other things. Is it yeah. is it so different now than it was ten years ago as terms of what's expected of you to be to uh, I won't say hit the big time. But what's expected of you to, to survive in this business, whereas, like, um, 10 years ago, maybe it was just about doing the shows, and now it's about this whole branding thing and podcasts and multimedia and having an online presence. Is it, How different is it now than it was back then? Uh, from when I started to now, I don't think it changed much. I, I, I think certain things okay. might have gotten more prolific, and you might you – could, you could back into it. Now, where you couldn't back into it 10 years ago? Like, if you started a YouTube channel 10 years ago, you could be famous right now, but you wouldn't be a good stand-up. And so, what, like, your drawing power, you know, you could you could do a money grab, but you can't sustain that, you know, that performance level. Now you could go the other way, I guess, you know, where you're a stand-up and then you, you transition to YouTube. I guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think it's always been the same, you know, because, like, you look at the guys in the 80s, they were stand-ups, and it was like, well, can you act through a sitcom? And, like, the guys who could act became Ray Romano and Jerry Seinfeld, and the guys who couldn't act, you never heard from them again, you know? But they might be making a living right. somewhere, you know? Like, that's, you know, success is... Uh, success in comedy is a real gray scale. Like... Uh, you know, I'd be happy just to not have to work. That would be success to me is just, you know, I get a couple of cruise ships a year. Maybe I warm up a TV show and I can tour as a headliner. That'd be plenty for me. Some people, that's not enough for them. They need to, you know, they want to be, you know, they want to be the next Louis C.K., you know, so. Yeah. And, and isn't, isn't that funny too? Because it's, it's, it's almost kind of like the tie back to baseball. <laughs> you know, it it, it 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 is it is a great scale. Like if somebody goes up there and and it, uh, makes the majors for a month or so, or, or take a guy like Jeff Bannister. Jeff Bannister, the manager of the Rangers. You know, he made the show and he got one at bat and he got one hit, and that was that was basically it. Now, if you make the show, you're a success. Honestly, but yeah, you know, in the landscape now, somebody's looking at a guy who's been in the major ten years and say, "Oh, he stinks." Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I those are another bunch of guys I get mad at. Like, 
a guy that's like, oh, this guy's a bum. It's like, you're a bum. You can't throw out the garbage. This guy's a major league baseball player. <laughs> you, your wife hates that you store, all right? Like, you're a bum. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have a similar schedule. I see you going to California. I see you touring the country. I saw you did a tour down south. And this isn't your first foray in the entertainment industry. You've been in bands. You've been in music. You've done a lot of things. But when you take a look at comedy and the rigor of performing and trying to adapt to your audience, what do you think is maybe one of the more what do you think is one of the more overlooked aspects of having to uh, be a stand-up comic? Is, is the schedule grueling at the same time, or does the love of your performance drive that that? Part? I mean, I mean, it's a grind. But well, I'm gonna fucking tell a roofer that like my work. <laughs> uh oh, it looks like we may have oh, two podcasts and uh, <laughs> both blown at the same time. I think he was. I, did you get the? I, I heard a little bit about the the roofing comment, and then I was waiting for the follow up, and I didn't know if you dropped his. And that was it. Yeah, he must have went under a tunnel or something. Uh, no, we. Do you guys have me or no? No, oh, well, there he is. Wow, you just came back. Okay, the last thing. We uh, heard, the last thing we heard from your end was, "I'm not a roofer." <laughs> yeah, uh, I, had a, I had a really good run just now. I'll never. It's gonna be on my podcast. You're gonna have to listen to my podcast to to hear that good run. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> we, what we were just saying: two two podcasts destroyed at the same time because Neil went under a tunnel. No, no, mine's fine. Mine's still great. My, I have a really good episode going right now. Okay, so so it's just our equipment then, Josh. <laughs> it's our reception that that completely crapped out. Well, the universe didn't want you to know, didn't want everyone to know from our perspective what it's like to be a roofer, uh, because that's, that's pretty much where we left. Um, so Roofing is evil. So, Neil, I mean, if if you want to pick up on that, because um, I I have no idea about this epic rant. This is like the tenacious D greatest song in the world that's never going to get played. Unless we lost Neil again. I'm not, see? See, it's a sign. What it's is a sign. We can't have roofing commentary on our podcast. No, we can't. I guess we have to go through that glass ceiling in, in order to get anywhere. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but it says he's still on the line, so I feel like he could cut in at any point. I, I guess it depends where he's going. If he's going to the city, I guess maybe the Midtown Tunnel could be a source. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's going through uh, either the Midtown or he's going he's just going through a spot with um, with uh, Wi-Fi issues. Like I always have a I, there's there's a spot in Queens for me where I can't get I can't get Wi-Fi or four or even 4G. So maybe he's in one of those spots. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Wow, you know, him talking about that made me realize that I've known you now, for, or at least been tweeting with you for seven years, almost eight yeah. years. I, uh, yeah, I, I joined Twitter in 2010, and that's just, it's amazing how, cause I, and I feel like I'm one of the late arrivers on Twitter, and I've been there for, for close to eight years now. That's insane. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when I started following you, I think I had, like, Less than a hundred followers, but you had over a thousand. So you must have picked up like a, like some steam pretty quickly. I got a lot early. Really, I got a lot of followers early on. I, I had uh, people that knew me, and then they got their friends to follow me, and that's that was a lot of the followers early. Okay. Uh, and then later on, it's weird. I got a lot of like weird. Uh, accounts following me, like a lot of Mets fans following me, but then a lot of accounts that I think just followed me because of the follower number I had. And I like, I, I get a lot of bot accounts, but then I get a lot of verified accounts following me, like people that are, that are like on TV shows and whatnot. And it's like, okay, now you've just exposed yourself as a, as an account that isn't actually run by you. <laughs> like the urban you would never follow me. <laughs> like the urban fans, you got somebody looking at the numbers of followers and saying, "Oh, we'll just, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll follow this guy. He must be influential." And I'm not. That's yeah. the choke of it. Well, the great thing about it is, I like immediately perceived you to be really influential, and I think a lot of people do. 
because you're almost at 4,000 followers, which isn't like that grand of a scale. But like 4,000 followers is serious, you know? Like that's that's a big number. 1,000 followers with no real marketing and no real, you know, hey, follow me or, um, you know, no real, you know, I've got, I've got a, a, a guy that, that follow Fridays me every week and I don't know how many followers I've gotten from that, but I, I've never really pursued followers, you know? I've always thought it was about the quality of the followers rather than, oh, I need a big number. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. And and that's a really good stance. And it's weird because if you're in media, like, they want you to have that big follower number. But holy crap, is it ever exhausting to try to engage with people and have conversations with people? And you just, you know where they're coming from is wrong. And that's not to sound cocky. Right. It's just like, it's just, at some point, it feels like a waste of time on some of the conversations, you know? Yeah, and, and like you can present. Yeah. Well, some people don't want to be wrong, and that's the whole thing. They they may not. It almost becomes like the argument itself becomes the stance, and not the stance. Exactly. Exactly. And I I do I like engaging with a lot of Mets fans that can engage in like the kind of rhetoric that you and I do, and and we have like our varied stances. But a lot of them, my God, ah, trade Harvey. He's a bum. Well, you're gonna trade him when he's only six million next year, and he's still throwing 96 and he's a year off of surgery. I don't care. It just looks like he doesn't try. And at that point, like you yeah. can stop the conversation. Like you, like there's nothing else to be said. Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, you believe what you believe. I'm not changing your mind. And you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. Twitter's not for changing minds. Wait, hold on. Neil never going to do it on Twitter. Wait, Neil is recording our conversation right now. I just got word and excellent. He's recording our conversation. But he says, I don't get why you can't hear me. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, hold on. I think I'm going to, uh, man, this is interesting. Well, okay. so this well, hello to all the listeners of uh, In Traffic. I hope you enjoyed that uh, in-depth conversation about Twitter and, uh, and the media landscape. Yeah. No, now he's replying to me, and I'm going to see what he has to say. Um, maybe we should – I'm going to hang up and call again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we need to hang up and we're going to call again. This is So all of that just went out. <laughs> can, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Yeah, we can hear you, yes. That's so weird, man. I was listening to the whole thing. You guys were talking about me. And I was like, I I can hear you. What's going on? I can hear you guys. <laughs> it's like you're in a glass box. Like, no, I'm here. Really? It was like a I, podcast edition of Black Mirror. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about the Twittersphere also, like, but from a different perspective. Like, I don't want to say nerds, but nerds. We're talking about, like, weird Twitter, and they were talking about how they, you know, got into it. And, like, they were using reference dates as, like, 2008 and 2010. And it's like, wow, that's, like, been a part of our culture for so long. And, like, that's how we all know each other. That's how this happened is Twitter. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. know Josh from Twitter, but Twitter baseball was a thing. And that's, like, a weird subculture is, like, these Twitter meetups. You know, and then, like, you know, we have, like, Mets Twitter, where we, like, all, you know, correspond this hate little... Each other. Yeah, we hate each other, but it's, like, a weird section of the world where, like, we all, you know, find like-minded people. I don't know, it's weird. It's, Twitter's, a, Twitter's an interesting thing. But then, yeah, but then within those like-minded people, you not only have the echo chambers, but these like-minded people just scream nonsense at each other. And that's the whole is that. Yeah, and, and it's like, where are these divisions? Like, this media landscape is, is like something that I actively work to challenge. And I gave this weird presentation in one of my graduate courses this week about Aramon. Are, are you familiar with Aramon? What is that? Aramon is the demon of commercialism and, and in Western culture probably more frequently referred to as Satan that tries to, you know, strip people of 
their individuality and, and try to make passive thought leaders. And uh, everyone is thinking, but they're not really thinking. It's just passive thought as opposed to actively engaged in meaningful thought. And, and so I, anyway, um, and like I talked about like manifestations of hyper sigils and, and a bunch of stuff like that. But it's almost like you have like this wealth and you, people say a lot without ever saying anything. And I don't know if that's a grander metaphor for life, but it's uh it's that almost it sounds out. straight out of uh 1984 two plus two equals five right yeah the party's last most essential command was to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears um so i mean neil you you heard all of that so please please interject here and fill in some of the gaps well, no, I just—it's just interesting to hear you guys talk about Twitter that way. Like, because I just listened to a podcast about Twitter, and then essentially I just listened to another podcast about Twitter. Um, oh, there you go. What? Uh, all right. So let's get back. What's your uh, John? Who's your favorite uh, player growing up? Oh, my first favorite player was Doug Flynn. Because uh, he he was uh, you know I used to go to games with my dad way 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 back when and he would and he would sit there and say to me you know what he's not he's you know his average isn't that good but you watch every rally the Mets have which in 1979 wasn't a lot he always he's always a part of or he always starts and it was true every time the Mets needed you know a hit and down three one in the ninth ninth Flynn always came up and gave you a good at-bat and, and made something happen. And, and the Mets wouldn't always win, but, you know, between that and uh, and him being the fielder he was, I wanted to grow up to be a second baseman. And I always, uh, when I would play softball or baseball, I wanted to play second base. So that was that was probably my first favorite player growing up. Huh. And what about you, Neil? My first favorite player? Uh, maybe John Stearns or Joel Youngblood? This is phenomenal. This is phenomenal. Like hearing you two, and then, like my first favorite player was Jeff Francoeur. <laughs> like that's yeah, like, that's that's a real thing. So wait, what made Stearns your favorite player? I don't know. He was a catcher. I caught. I don't know. He was cooler than Ed Hodges. I don't know. <laughs> Do you agree with that, John? Yeah. Well, well Stearns was uh, Stearns was uh, his nickname was Dude, and he. Uh, he ran, he he coined the I think it was him they were talking about when they talk, uh, coined the term ran well for a catcher, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, his, uh, his uh, and his career was cut short uh, because of injury. But I'll I'll never forget I was uh, watching a game in in '84 when Stearns was kind of like the Stearns in 1984 was kind of like David right now like everybody forgot that Stearns existed because he was just in injury rehab perpetually. And then he came back in 1984, and he hit a double in his first at-bat back, and he thrust his hands up in the air, and, and Shea Stadium went insane for John Stearns. Because, oh, my God, here's, here's somebody from the deep, dark 70s when we stunk, and now he's back in, in 84 when the team is good, and maybe he can come back and do something. And I think he may have gotten three more hits for the Mets the rest of his career, and that was that. So, so yeah, he was a popular player for sure. And Joe Youngblood was a right fielder. He had a very good arm. And the one thing I'll always remember about Youngblood was that he would grow a beard in September to prepare for hunting season because it was cold out. <laughs> well, I remember him as like just yeah, like a pinch hitter and – he was like kind of a, a utility guy. I remember him playing a bunch of positions, but the young, young one, yeah. Or yeah, he, a, yeah, he, he was a, a lot. Yeah, and he was also the guy that got the, the uh, two hits in the same day for two different teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Expos and uh, Expos and Mets. Yeah, he went. He went to the Expos. It was for the Mets and Wrigley, and then. Uh, he went to Montreal and got a hit against Philadelphia. But, yeah, later in his career, he became that utility player. I think he even played some third base at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know who I really liked early on was Hubie Brooks. Yes. He was cool, it's too. I liked him a lot. I, I really, yeah, I really liked Hubie, and I was, I was sad that he was part of the deal. 
to get Gary Carter, but uh, it was um, it was it was for the best, as we know. Yeah, it was worth it for sure. I don't know, man. My favorite player all time, probably uh, Bo Jackson or Robbie Alomar. Probably one of those two. Hmm. Probably Bo. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Bo. I man, it it makes you wonder what he uh, could have been had he quit, had he just uh, played baseball. If he had quit football, man, oh my god. Right, he would have. You think all time? Yeah. What? You think all time great, like Hall of Fame track, or I mean, I I just for no, for Bo. For, yeah, Bo. Yes. Really? He was a Hall of Famer. If he. If he uh, if he if he played baseball full time and if he really worked at that craft or at least Paul was very good but he was he was so talented I mean you figure when his hip after his hip got messed up he came back for the White Sox and he and he was hitting and he was hitting two ninety and he was hitting bombs so man if he if, wow. if if it not been for the football injury he would have at least been one of those where. He could have played forever, and you would have been. We'd be discussing him like Carlos Beltran, I think. And like, Maybe that's why I hate football so much. <laughs> and I'm like, playing football for taking Bo Jackson away from me. Yeah. Do you think that's how we'll be discussing Tim Tebow in ten years? Or yeah, probably. Nah, I don't know about that. I mean, Tebow did hit double-digit home runs in his first season, right? Or came damn close to it in the minor leagues. So, I mean, we'll see him at some point next year. I'm going to be on that Tebow train for a long, long, long time. You know what? It, it, it makes more sense to see him in 18 up here than it would than, than it did last year. Still think he's going to get that hit off of a Nationals reliever. Still think it's going to happen. And um, excited for it. So, um, wow, that's, that's an interesting thing about Bo. I, I, like, looking at his statistics over his career, though, like – he actually hit 32 home runs, and so he would he just leave in September? No, he he, uh, he he finished out the season, the baseball season, and he would join the Raiders in like week eight. So wait, what? They didn't have a problem with that. No, because he was putting up ridiculous numbers for the Raiders too. Like I saw someone do a thing that like extrapolated. Bo Jackson's numbers with the Raiders over a real career, and it was Hall of Fame football numbers. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, I mean, like, why? And, and the Raiders were like, okay, well, we'll take Hall of Fame numbers for eight games. That's a, we'll, we'll, we're fine with that. Wow. And, and you know, Neil, you said you hate football players. I don't know if both of you saw this, but for the I hate football. Ever... I don't hate football players. I hate football. Right, right, right. But – Football, I mean, for the first time ever this morning, um, a living player or a former player was diagnosed with CTE. And that's yeah. – Yeah, and uh, I'm not – the name eludes me, but it's a scary Fred sport. Fred McNeil. That name eludes him, they're, too. They're saying it might be. <laughs> name eludes him, too. Get it? Cause he's, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> So, so one of the one of the, one of the things that uh, we do here, and we really specialize in, look, there's a million and one podcasts that talk baseball, and do it with varying degrees of success or entertainment. But we really, really love food, and so we love to talk about stadium food, and in particular burgers. But the Burger Ball podcast. So I'm not sure based on your travels how many parks you've been to, Neil. But do you have a favorite stadium food or burger that you really want to highlight? Uh, you know what? I like burgers, but I'm like a taco guy when I travel. Okay. So I don't really know. I mean, you know, I'm pretty generic with the burgers. Uh I will say that the meatball sandwich, the Pat Lafrida meatball sandwich in center field is pretty dope. You know what I'm talking about? And they and that that's been gone too. I mean, and that's a shame because I really like that meatball sandwich. That's gone this year. 
I was. I think it was on. Yeah, I was on uh, in 2017. I was because they they have instead of the one steak sandwich uh, stand and the meatball sandwich, I think they were all steak sandwich stands. That's uh, real disappointing. Yeah. Oh, very disappointing. I, I'm, I still can't get over that they got rid of pressed. I don't know what that is. I don't. Uh, I don't like oh, that. Was the, well, they had the grilled cheese. The grilled cheese short rib. Sandwiches and the and the uh, and the grilled the cheese sandwich. and bacon stand that they had there it was really really good so yeah I'm I'm uh, I'm still heartbroken over that but uh, but what is the what's been your favorite taco to uh, on the uh, in your travels on the road uh, number one is uh, this place called Chivos in Knoxville uh, there's a place called Chilito Lindo in uh, Palm Harbor Florida that's like pretty dope. Segoros in uh, San Diego is pretty dope. El Paso on Long Island, and uh, the spot in Chelsea Market, and uh, the place I went to yesterday—I forget the name of it—Alta something in uh, in Park Slope is pretty good, or they call it Prospect Heights. It's pretty good. But yeah, that, that place. I like that. I'm gonna have like, to try uh, the one in Chelsea Market. That's a, I'm closest one to that. The, the one in Chelsea Market is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm. And what is that called again? The place in Chelsea Market, uh, like Taco Especial or something. I don't know. It's like real simple, like or like Taco Numero Uno. It's like a real simple name. I, I can't remember. But it's in Chelsea like it. Market. Simple is good. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. I liked. Uh, I've been to a lot of parks. I hate going to games at, at City Field. I don't know, man. It's just something about, I don't know, something about Mets fans or something about, you know, uh, just New York everything. It's like it's just like too much. Uh, I don't like City Field. I don't know. I don't like it. Let me let me ask you. Let me ask you something. Do you enjoy? Um, do you do you enjoy City Field less the more people are there? Oh, that's for sure. That's 100% sure, yeah. Especially, like, because like, there's some nights where they have, like, crazy giveaways, um, and, and it's just you're sitting there, and it's like, man, it's just really, it's just, it's amateur night here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with that. I'm with that. And, and my God, I mean, the things that I've seen at City Field when it's been crowded, people bringing in Chinese food to the park, people reading books, people totally disengaged with the game, and it's almost like if you're – what like why like why did you show up and and by all means it's cool and if you're mad. pay that money for a ticket yeah that's and, true. And, you know, I don't I see that with stand up too like people come to shows and like be on their phone or like talk to people at their table through the comic and it's like why'd you pay to be here for that <laughs> and it's even more it's even more insane when you're talking about a stand up show because it's like that's the that's the very definition of engaged, and you, it's not like you have to be engaged you know, for all that long, for you know, per set. <laughs> it's like you can't you can't not look at your phone for a ten minute set. That, that just it boggles my mind. You have a lot of yeah. performance aspects, and we didn't get this because you went through a tunnel. But would you say that it, would you say that it's a challenge though to to continuously go out there and refine and not in the sense that it's difficult like a roofer but would you, how would you yeah yeah it's it's a grind if it was easy everyone would do it yeah yeah for sure it's hard but it's but it's hard in that way it's hard in like you know I love it and it's and it it gives immediate gratification you know what I mean like like I could write a joke today, not that it would be refined or in its final form, but I can write a joke today and then perform it tonight, get a huge pop, and, like, someone after the show will be like, oh, you were so funny, you were the best set of the night. And they'll be like, all right, I just needed one person to say that. 400 people disagreed, but, you know. <laughs> so you got the one, and that's all you need. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, like today, where we were talking about how baseball is, is kind of divided amongst its fans and there's a lot of infighting, and you see that in the political realm as well. Do you try to play it or, like, try to toe any kind of line when you perform, or do you just speak what's on your mind or speak to more general terms? That's a tough one, man, because 
Ideally, I want to. Ideally, I want to stay as true to myself as possible. Right. But also, my job's to entertain, and I want to get invited back because I want to get better at this. So, if I have some out there philosophies that are going to alienate some people, probably keep it to myself for now. For now. That's not saying that in five years, if I'm a big deal, you know, I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely going to spout it. I post it all over Facebook. I post it all over Twitter. But for now, when I get up in front of strangers, I just want to make them laugh. It's personal stuff, but it's not, uh, I try not to get to, unless it's like a real out there philosophy, because then it'll be funny just how ridiculous it is, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example, and I can't really, because nothing's uh, finished, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, one thing that stands out, I mean, like, you could talk about pot with, like, a certain level of, you know, confidence that that's not going to draw any political lines, and so that's, like, a cool thing to do, and you talked about that when I saw you at yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, but I have like a different point of view on it. Like, I've, I I tried it once, and I'm not I'm not doing the pothead thing. I just telling a story about the one time I tried it, and like how everyone's correct. You know, like everyone's opinion is right. You know, um, but yeah, like is everyone's opinion right after you smoke pot. Is that it? No, no, no. Everyone's opinion about pot is right. Like, like, yeah, like, you, you know, all the stories you heard were correct. I'm corroborating these stories. Like, I'm not, I don't have a, I have a unique take because I waited until I was an adult to try it once, and I've only done it once. But even my unique take is, yeah, 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 it's the same take as everybody else's take. You guys, you guys nailed it. <laughs> so you travel and you have the opportunity to travel a lot and you talk about loving tacos and do you have like 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 no i i mean this in, in like a really serious but also like comedic sense like when you're traveling is there anything that hits you about like the food of an area are you ever like wow like i miss new york or wow i wish like i was like was constantly in california uh nah, I like I like the road. I like uh, there's no I live here. I chose to live here. Like I, I obviously I like this place the best. But I love the road and like I love being wherever I am. Like I have favorite cities, but I'm sure once I move to those cities it'll like the things that annoy me will annoy me more. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. You know. You guys were talking, I saw, like, on the list, you guys want to talk about, uh, like, favorite ballpark experiences? Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what are your guys' uh... – John, I uh, it's, uh Well, for, for me, I've been to I, – I, I know people that have been to all 30 major league ballparks, and I, I'm proud of myself because I got to 15. Uh, and I really – you know, obviously Fenway and Wrigley are must visits, and I put them in a different category. And uh, Baltimore is spectacular. I think the one thing that I would, and here's here's my here's my hot take on ballparks that like no one will agree with me with, but I really one of my one of the the ballparks that actually captured my heart was, believe it or not, Tropicana Field in uh, Tampa. Well, I really, I really had, I it's really simpleness. had. Well, well, I went there to see. Say again. It's simpleness. Uh, yeah, it's 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 simpleness, and and yeah, well, well, there's something to that. I mean, I went down there to uh, to see the Mets, and it was right after. Uh, and when I was thinking about going, I was like, you know what, I gotta go because if R. A. Dickey throws the first no hitter in Mets history, and I don't go, I'm going to regret it. And I don't know why I thought that, 
but I wound up going, you know, I said that, and then a couple days later, Santana pitches the no-hitter, and I go down there, and Ari Dickey throws a one-hitter. And the one hit should have been an error. Uh, so I was, I was, I, I, feel, I felt like I was on to something if I wasn't, even if I wasn't completely right. But I really liked, I mean, first off, I thought the park looked better to me in person than it comes across on television. I'm still not, you know, with all, and still doesn't have all the bells and whistles of, of the new parks or the newer parks. But it, it, what I really liked about, about being in Tropicana Field was everywhere you sat, you were around baseball fans. Like everything that you hate, Neil, about city going to City Field, <laughs> you'd actually like about yeah. going to uh, a game in Tropicana Field because yeah. people there understand the game. Like people there, every uh, it, it, it feels like everywhere I sat, everybody I talked to had the same theme. Oh, I lived in Chicago all my life. I saw Ernie Banks play, and I I'm and now I'm retired and I'm go, I'm going to Rays games. Oh, I lived in Milwaukee. I saw Hank Aaron play. And now I've retired here, and I'm going to to raise games. You know, yeah, no one's there. No one's there because it's the cool thing to do. You know, like um, yeah, as as opposed to that, these people understand the game. These people know the game. Right. And listening to them to them talk about it, and it was just it was just wow. I really this is what it was like at Shea Stadium in the '70s and even the early '80s, uh, where you could go and have an intelligent conversation about baseball with anybody. You sit with. You really you can't get that in a lot of places now. You can yeah, get yeah. it in Tampa, and it was such a refreshing change for me. So that's why uh, a Rays game in, in, at the Trop, at that, that's why I really enjoyed it. And you know what? Listen, the park is the park. It's what it is. They do the best they can. I mean, they, had, um, they have um, autograph sessions once per series with a guy that used to play on the other team. I got Elliot Maddox's autograph. At, at Tropicana Field because he was there signing pictures of him as a Met or as a Yankee and all of that. So that was, you know, they, they, they really do their best. They, they try, and uh, I really liked it. So that's, so that's my take on ballparks. I like Tropicana Field. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been to about 15 major league parks also. And, uh, yeah, same thing for me. I went to game one in uh, 15 at, in Kansas City. And, uh yeah, it's a different thing. Like, they're on their feet from pitch one to final out, the whole stadium, on their feet, cheering, wow. everything, paying attention, concentrating on the game, willing, you know, pitches to be strikes, willing balls to be fair. And then I went to game four or five or whatever it was at Chet at City Field, and it was like uh, people couldn't care less because they were there. Boo. You guys suck. You guys suck. Game four of the World Series, they suck? I don't know. <laughs> that, that was my favorite yeah. experience. Yeah, there's got to be a point where you gotta put the, you got to put the you suck away for a little while. And I think game four of the World Series is that is that point. No, yeah. the Met, yeah. Met, uh, Met quote-unquote fans do not put the you suck away. <laughs> Because all of us have been to a wealth of baseball stadiums, and all of us have kind of a different experience, but it seems that none of us particularly love City Field. And, that's, and I think it's funny as we're all Mets fans, but, I mean, I've been to parks, and I really love Camden Yards, Neil. I, I know you're an Orioles fan. And, uh, to, 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 me, to me, though, my favorite ballpark that I've been to is Petco Park in San Diego. And yeah. I don't – I don't have, – have either of you been there? Yeah. No. I've never been west of uh, St. Louis in terms of ballparks. And, Neil, you have? Yeah. But it's oh. also like being in San Diego also. You know what I mean? Like San Diego is like this magical yeah. place. Like everything is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. It's so true. And I just remember going there and the whole experience is phenomenal. Like you said about the Rays, like everyone there, you, like, you really have to love baseball to go to a San Diego Padres game. Like now, then, forever. I know that's WWE's tagline, but like, you, like you're not going to go there expecting to win when you have Ryan Ludwig starting. Like you're just not expecting it. And so, and so like, <laughs> 
yeah, like and and like like remember those 2010 teams with like Mojica, like Edward Mojica in the bullpen, and there's and like Jake Peavy at the helm, and Adrian Gonzalez. And they had good players, but like the fans were like this mix of respectful and enthusiastic. And I remember they were in the midst of that 10-game losing streak where they like relinquished the lead in the National League West. And I walk into the stadium and I start cheering against the Phillies. And the usher or the person handing out the game programs as they do there looked at me and said, I'm sorry, I think I gave you the wrong one. And I think it was because I showed like a modicum of like enthusiasm more so than, hey, I'm a chill Southern California person. And I open the book when I get to my seat and there's a $200 gift voucher, like the winning one. And I was like, wow, like they knew. And like they saw like the enthusiasm, like they redirected it. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And like, they have different things there. It's really cool. They have like slurpy machines because like you can do that when it's a warmer environment. And like the food, like like the tacos there, you know, like wow, like amazing. And just like the whole, and like there's a hill, like like this is inconceivable in New York, but like in center field, there's a hill, and you can mm. pay like five to fifteen dollars depending on the game. And you can go in with, like, food and a blanket and set up on this hill and watch yeah. the game on the big screen with whatever is happening on the real field directly behind it. It's just phenomenal. <laughs> it's like nothing. I've heard of that, and I love that. And if I ever go to San Diego, I'm going to do that for, for one of the games I go to. That's awesome. Yeah, and, like, you can, like, walk out and you're just in the middle of the city. Like, you're, like, you're just like, okay, I'm, like, four blocks from my hotel. And it's yep. really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they, they deserve a winning team. They deserve a winning team. They, well, they have a really not before yeah. us. Not before us. We, no, you're yeah. right. <laughs> like, Let's get one. They, 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 yeah, we can be generous. Oh, think of how apoplectic Mets fans would be if, if San Diego won a World Series, their first World Series, before we got back to the playoffs. Ugh. I mean, it could happen. They're going to sign Hosmer, it looks like, or at least they're in the bidding for him. As a, yeah, as but they've, done, they've, they've made a big clash in the free agent market before and another with it. That is true. That is right. I'm going to go now. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure, Neil. <laughs> thank, you, awesome. thank you for, uh, for doing this with us. Yeah, thank you for doing this with us, with me. Uh, I'll, uh, Josh, I'll text you. We'll maybe like, coordinate the release, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, we All right. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you to your, and to you and your listeners. Oh, right, yeah, you too. Thanks. Jerk, Neil.